Welcome back to the Everlasting Rock podcast. My name is Daniel Farringer. In this episode, we're going to take a break from our series, What is a Church? To look at the coming of Christ. In this episode, we'll be exploring Psalm 8 to ask and answer the question, how will the King of Glory come? In this message, we look at what is man, what is the purpose of man, how are we to glorify and image God in light of Christ. The coming of Christ matters, and it matters not just for our eternity, but for right now. My hope and prayer is that you will be encouraged and edified, that you would begin to understand how you are to live in light of the coming of Christ. This message was first delivered at Montrose Bible Church on December 10th, 2023. With that, let's go listen to the Word of God. Good morning. For those who don't know me, my name is Daniel Farringer, and I have the tremendous honor and privilege to bring the Word of God to you this morning. Turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter 8. Last Sunday, we began our Advent series in the book of Psalms by looking at Psalm 24, where we saw that the Lord is the King of glory, that he is the only one who can ascend the mountain of the Lord because he is pure and spotless. And we saw the call to prepare the city, prepare our hearts for his coming. This morning, we turn our attention to Psalm chapter 8 to ask and answer the question, how will the King of glory come? Psalm 8 says this, O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who displays your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I see your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have established, what is man that you remember him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the animals of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the pass of the seas. O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. God, you are the glorious God. And as we have just sung about, as we look into your word, Lord, you are full of glory. You are righteous and holy, 
and just. And we are sinners, dead in sin, deserving judgment and eternal condemnation. But we are so thankful for Christ that you would consider man. And so, Lord, as we look into your word this morning, Lord, blow our minds with your glory. Lord, guide and guard the exposition of your word. May you be honored and glorified in our midst. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Psalm 8 was written by King David. It is a psalm full of praise to our glorious God and King in light of God's care for man. David is filled with praise to our glorious and majestic God. And that is where David begins this psalm in verse 1. When he says, O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who displays your splendor above the heavens. David is in awe of our glorious God. So much so that he uses two names for God, Yahweh and Adonai, in his opening line. Both names show the personal relationship David had with God. God is a personal God. And David knew God to be the I am and his Lord. David considers the majesty and splendor of God and his name in creation. And this is where we must stop and consider our glorious triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons in one Godhead have dwelt in perfect unity for all eternity and will continue to exist in unity for the rest of eternity. Before creation, there was the triune God full of glory. Then at an appointed time, the three persons of the Godhead began creating the heavens and the earth. As David looked at creation, he saw the work and glory of God shining in it. It was David who penned Psalm 19, verse 1, when he said, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and the expanse is declaring the work of his hands. David was in awe and amazement of the splendor and glory of God in creation and in the heavens. Yet he wasn't the only one. His son Solomon recognized that not only is God's glory above the heavens, it can't be contained in the heavens. Solomon, when dedicating the temple in 1 Kings 8, 27, said this, But will God truly dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. 
how much less this, ha- this house which I have built. God's glory is so vast. We must recognize that the gloriousness of God cannot be contained nor fully described or known. This is the truth that drives David's song of praise. David, throughout this psalm, will move from the high and vast glories of God to the small and insignificant things of earth, like he does in verse 2. Verse 2 says this, From the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. David is in amazement that the glorious God can work through seemingly weak and impossible people like young children to make the enemies and the adversaries stop. This is our glorious God. The focus turns again to the glory of God in creation in verse 3. When David says this, When I see your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars, which you have established. David recognized that God created the world that he owns the world, that it is for his glory. This is God's world. And his glory and greatness ripple throughout every part of it. It was at the thought of God's greatness that David now considers humanity in verse 4. David says this, In verse 4, what is man that you remember him? And the the son of man that you care for him. When we rightly and carefully consider the glory of God, we should be asking, what is man? When we gaze our eyes at the night sky, How many of us have asked the question like Job did in Job 7.17? What is man that you magnify him, that you set your heart on him? When we consider the glory of God and see his glorious creation, we are reminded of our smallness and insignificance. We begin to ponder how God can consider us when we are one person Amongst billions of people. We are like small, insignificant earthworms in the ground in the midst of his vast creation. We are small. And that consideration led David to ask, what is man? What is man? This is the question we must ask and endeavor to answer this morning by God's grace. What is man? What is the purpose of mankind? Our culture, in light of pursuing 
further depths of depravity, have increasingly begun to ask and answer these questions in faulty ways because they base them on man's wisdom, man's feelings, man's emotions, instead of on God who created man. We must always be ready to faithfully and biblically articulate the plan and purpose of our glorious God in creating men and women. From Genesis 1, we learn that God made man and woman in his image for his glory. This reality is astounding. That the glorious God made man as a representative of him. Yet God, who is spirit, John 4, 24, didn't just create man to image God. He also sent his son to take on flesh to be the exact imprint or image of the invisible God. This leads us to begin to answer the question, how will the king of glory come? And we see first that the king of glory will come as a son of man. Colossians 1 verse 15 says this about Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Christ is the image of the invisible God who is spirit and is the firstborn of creation. And we must now unpack what the word firstborn means. We can recall that after Adam was created, Adam sinned. Adam's sin spread to all men. Romans 5.12. So when Christ took on flesh, he was of Adam's line, but different from Adam in how he was born. When Christ took on flesh, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born by the Virgin Mary, thus being free from Adam's line of sin. Yet we must go even deeper here. False religions and cults will say that Christ was created. They will say that there was a certain point when Christ was not in existence, but was created. This is heresy, and this is a departure from the word of God. The word firstborn signifies Christ's preeminence over all things. Christ created all things through him and for him. Colossians 1 verse 16. And was before all things. Colossians 1 verse 17. Christ wasn't created. He is the eternal God. We see God's care and remembrance for man by sending the Son of Man to die for our sins. Christ used the title Son of Man multiple times to refer to himself. 
The author of Hebrews used Psalm 8 to refer to Christ. Hebrews 2, verses 5 through 9 say this. For he did not subject to angels the world to come concerning which we are speaking. But one has testified somewhere saying, What is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. This is our Christ, who was truly God and became man. And by taking on flesh, could die for our sins and taste death for everyone. Psalm 8, 5 says this. Yet you have made him a little lower than the angels. And you have crowned him with glory and majesty. God made man and woman lower than God. The Hebrew word used here for angels is Elohim, often translated as God. Man is always to be under God. And when we fail to act accordingly and seek to be over God, disobedience and disorder will rule the day. Genesis 1, verse 26 through 27 say this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, so that they will have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created man and woman and crowned them with God's image. The value of man and woman, because of being made in God's image, supersedes all angels and all created things. Louis Burkhoff noted this. According to scripture, the essence of man consists in this, that he is the image of God. As such, he is distinguished from all other creatures and stands supreme as the head and crown of the entire creation. 
God made us different than all creation by creating us in his image. And as a result of that, gave us great glory and majesty. Through being created in the image of God, God bestowed upon us an eternal soul, a mind to reason, a conscience, the ability to relate to one another through relationships, and dominion, to name just a few things. And as God created us in his image, he bestowed upon us the responsibility to rule and reign over his creation. Psalm 8, verse 6 says this, You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. God made us to rule over creation. Genesis 1, 28 says this, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that creeps on the earth. Scholars often refer to this command as the cultural mandate or dominion mandate. The God who worked Genesis 2-2 now calls his image bearers to work and reign over his creation. Pastor Michael Cleary noted this about taking dominion. He says this, being created in God's image means more than having human dignity. The image of God implies dominion. Humans were created to rule, and rule is what we must do. When God commanded them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion, verse 28, he was telling them how to image him. We are to image the glorious God by taking dominion over the earth as he has called us to. Through the mandate, God has called us to fill the earth with image bearers who will image God and form the earth by exercising dominion over it. As we obey this command, we are to image the glorious God in our work. God created the world with beauty and to be a blessing to mankind. This is how we are to work and rule over his creation. By the grace of God, our work is to be beautiful and it is to be a blessing to God and to man. All of our labors are to be good so that others will see and glorify God. Matthew five sixteen, And we are to do everything to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever work the Lord has put before you, if it's digging holes, 
if it's building houses, if it's changing diapers, if it's teaching kids, or if it's working in the cubicle or at home, all work is important when done to the glory of God. Don't believe the lie that your work is unimportant. Your work matters, and it is to be done with excellence and beauty for the glory of God and the blessing of man. All things are to be under man's dominion, and we return yet again to our question. How will the king of glory come? The king of glory will come as a son of man. The king of glory will come with dominion and rule. The king of glory will come with dominion and rule over all things. Two chapters later, Adam sins. And we see the first glimpse of Christ in Genesis three fifteen, who would put all things under his feet, including Satan and death, when it says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is the foreshadowing of the second Adam who would perfectly and completely rule over all things, including sin and death. So we turn to our question yet again. How will the king of glory come? The king of glory will come as the son of man. The king of glory will come with dominion and rule. The king of glory will come for creation's good. 1 Corinthians 15 Verse 21 through 22 says this. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. In the first Adam all die. Because of sin. Through the second Adam, life will come. One man brought death to all men. One man brought life to all who believe. Christ would exercise full dominion over all things. By putting all things under his feet. Through his sinless life, death, and resurrection. Because of the second Adam, man can now have dominion over sin and death because of Christ's sacrifice and resurrection. Praise God. Let us now return to Psalm 8. Verses 7 and 8 say this. All sheep and oxen, and also the animals of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. 
Man is called to image God by exercising dominion over God's creation. And with it, it is tasked with the weighty responsibility of stewarding creation. We are to rule well over creation. R.C. Sproul says this, The second command given to Adam and Eve was to have dominion over the earth. God installed Adam and Eve as his vice regents. Those who were to rule in his stead over all creation. It's not that God granted independent ownership of the planet to humankind. It remains his possession. But God called Adam and Eve to exercise authority over the animals, plants, seas, rivers, sky, and the environment. They were not to exercise authority like a reckless tyrant who has carte blanche to do anything he wants. For God didn't make Adam and Eve owners of the earth. He made them stewards of the earth who were to act in his name and for his glory. The understanding of being made in the image of God and assigned with dominion should cause us to recognize two truths. We are called to rule as his image bearers over creation with great responsibility. And secondly, and more importantly, we are to value, protect, and place image bearers of God above all created things. Which leads us to ask once again, how will the king of glory come? The king of glory will come as the son of man. The king of glory will come with dominion and rule. The king of glory will come for creation's good to the glory and praise of God. Psalm 8 verse 9 says this, O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. David ends this song by bursting out in praise when he considers both the glory of God and his glory on the earth. When we consider the king of glory and his work, it leads us to praise and glorify God. After the king of glory, Christ Jesus, entered Jerusalem, he entered the temple, and he cleansed the temple of its money changers. Matthew writes in Matthew 21, verses 14 through 16, this, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the marvelous things which he had done, 
and the children who were shouting in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and said to them, Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise for yourself. The coming of the king of glory results in the praise of men. Children, when they saw Christ, were praising him. And Christ, in his response to the chief priests and scribes, quotes Psalm 8, verse 2, reminding us that God uses weak and seemingly insignificant people to praise him. So as we consider our smallness in light of the glory of the triune God and the king of glory's coming, our response must be to praise and to tell. When we realize that God uses weak people to praise and glorify him, it should motivate us as small and weak people when we consider the glory of God. And when the king of glory left this earth, this was his charge. Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is our calling. To praise and to tell about the king of glory. Christ has dominion. He has authority over all things and has given us this mandate to fill the earth with disciples who know, love, and seek to spend their lives for the glory of God. Michael Cleary writes this, The Great Commission is none other than a redemptive republication of the creation mandate. When Jesus spoke the words of the Great Commission, he was not announcing something new but he was reinstating something very, very old. God had not given up on his original plan. The Great Commission does not replace the creation mandate, but renews and expands it in light of the finished work of Christ. They both have the same aim, God dwelling eternally 
on the earth with his human family. This is our calling to image God through our lives and to tell about Christ, who is the exact image of God, so that more and more God's name, his glory, and that Christ will be known on the earth. This is how we are to spend our lives, our jobs, our vacation, our retirement. All our days are to be spent magnifying the magnificent God. The first Adam came and fell into sin, and death spread to all men. But thankfully, to the glory and praise of God, the second Adam lived among us, died the death we deserved to die, and rose again to life. And through that has come to give us eternal life. May we be in awe of the glorious God who is spirit, who has sent the king of glory, being the exact image of God. And now calls all of us to image God through our lives. To know and behold Christ. In light of what we have just seen from the word of God, there are many good and proper responses. But I believe these lines from a new from a newer Christmas song rightly convey our response to the coming of the King of Glory when it says this He is born, He is born. The Son of God has come to dwell. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Emmanuel. He is born, He is born. Hope for all, now go and tell. He has come to save the world. We sing Noel. And I'll fall face down as your glory shines around. Yes, I'll fall face down as your glory shines around. May we fall face down and worship the king of glory who has come. He's come as the son of man with dominion and rule for creation's good to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. God, we praise you that the king of glory has come, that he has taken on flesh, that he became 
the Son of Man to take dominion over all things, including sin and death, for our good and to the glory and praise of God. And so, Lord, I I pray that our lives would reflect your glory. Lord, thank you that you have sent Christ to be the exact image of the invisible God. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and the responsibility that we now have to image God, to display God through our life, through our work, through every moment that you give us. Our lives are to tell about your glory and greatness. And so, Lord, I pray that we would bow in worship to you, the King of glory, that we would be amazed at your glory, that you have shown your glory through the King of glory. And so, Lord, convict us, humble us, Help us to submit to your word and to go and tell that the King of glory has come. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Everlasting Rock Podcast. Our prayer is that you would build your life on the cornerstone, Christ. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe for future episodes and consider leaving a five-star review and sharing it with others. Visit us at everlastingrock.net to learn about our purpose, our team, and to find more of our podcasts, read some of our blogs, or our blog series titled God Created. By the grace of God through Christ, may you build your life on the Lord who is never lasting.